athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. As always, look, today on Box to Row, we're going to be joined by Delaware State head men's basketball coach, Stan Waterman on the program as the Hornets are undefeated so far in MEAC play. Want to talk with him about the direction of the program, the success that the program has had in MEAC play to this point. Again, Stan Waterman, the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State, going to join us a little bit later on today here on Box to Row. Look, before I get into things, Right, and for us, celebrated uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday on last week as we celebrated uh, his birthday. And uh, one of the things, on on Turner Classic Movies, there was like a Sidney Poitier marathon. Of course, Sidney Poitier, the famous actor, he passed away. Uh, I guess it's been, what, 2022 now, and, and also... Uh, not only that, uh, but Sidney Poitier being a great actor, he was also a very integral part of the civil rights movement and the movement with Dr. Martin Luther King. So uh, Turner Classic Movies had this marathon on him. So, of course, In the Heat of the Night is probably is not only one of my favorite films, it's probably my favorite film with him in it. But there were a couple of films with him that I had not seen and on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the day we celebrate uh, his life and legacy. I had a chance to watch uh, amongst the football, which we're going to talk about. I had a chance to watch a warm December. I had never seen it. It was really, really, it was a really, really, I liked it. I enjoyed the movie. I would invite you to go see it as a matter of fact. I mean, it just shows you the clout. And this was 1972 when this movie came out, but Sidney Poitier directed that movie as well. Uh, of course, I did watch In the Heat of the Night. Matter of fact, I watched that on Wednesday now because I was watching football as well. So I recorded um, a couple of his movies. So I didn't get a chance to watch In the Heat of the Night until Wednesday. But the other movie I watched Tuesday, No Way Out. I invite you to watch that movie. It was actually Sidney Poitier's first film ever. It introduced the world to Sidney Poitier, it uh, was, to me, and and look, this film came out in 1950. I'm not going to give the film away, but it came out in 1950, and it really talked a lot. And remember, when you're talking about 1950, that's pre-civil rights movement in terms of what we knew the civil rights movement 
to be. I mean, you could say, okay, it started with the, you know, as we knew it, started with maybe the Montgomery bus boycott in 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 the in the mid fifties, I believe fifty seven. You could say it started there. I mean, you could you could look at it, you know, you could look at it. Okay, nineteen forty eight, the army integrated. I mean, it, it's a number of different. You know, there was the march on Washington in fifty seven. Like you could look at it in in various forms. But we're talking about 1950 for all intensive purposes. This was before the civil rights movement. And this particular movie debunked stereotypes, but it also lent to stereotypes and how people felt about those people, black people specifically, that were, for instance, Sidney Poitier was a doctor. It spoke to how people uh, thought of Doctors that are black, right? So I invite you to check that out as well. So, uh, you know, again, football on Sunday and Monday. And before I even get to Monday, boy, I mean, what? Like, at first I thought when the Browns lost to the Texans, and it wasn't that the Browns lost. I sat here um, last week and talked about how, and even the week before that, that I talked about how, I thought Joe Flacco was sort of back and that he wasn't going to regress into the quarterback uh, that we had seen him be the last several years, throwing inexplicable interceptions, being a third-string quarterback as a former Super Bowl champion. By the way, the year after the Ravens got the Super or won the Super Bowl, he got the bag and hadn't really been the same since. I think you know maybe the year after they went to the playoffs, maybe one more year after that, but that was it. And then he, he was relegated to being the, the third-string quarterback with the New York Jets last year. But he broke out, and I was like, okay, he's not going to go backwards. You know, I thought that the Browns had an elite defense, and, and they did. But a lot of that had to do with Joe Flacco. And I think about, specifically, I think the Browns may have been down 16 points or whatever. It's like two scores, whatever it was. And it was still like, I don't know, three minutes left to be played. It, 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 they may have been down, I don't know. It was, it was like three scores, actually. Maybe two scores in a field goal, something like that. 17 points. Maybe it was 17 points. And the Browns had the ball. Flacco inexplicably throws the ball in the air. I don't know if he's trying to, trying to throw it away. And the Texans intercept it. Browns get it back the next possession. Fourth and two, they're going for it. He telegraphs a slant pass, and it gets returned for a, tick, a pick six. You know, look, Joe Flacco will never, I don't think he'll ever be, I wouldn't trust him. Like, how can you trust him? He could play well for moments. He, he's, I think he's a good backup. He's one of those guys that he'll be a good backup. If you need somebody in a pinch, somebody that's got experience, somebody that's won a Super Bowl, he may be your guy in a pinch as a backup. As a starting quarterback, forget about it. He's done. I thought that was the end, sort of the end of the world, if you will. The Cowboys? Like, the Cowboys got rolled by the Packers. The Cowboys got absolutely rolled by the Packers. I think the score ended up being, um, it was a 16-point win for the Packers. But believe me, if you did not see that football game, it wasn't even that close, okay? 
it was tw- time I turned it on. It was it was uh, fourteen to nothing. Time I turned it on. Packer and the Packers were driving, scored again, made it twenty-one to nothing. But then the Cowboys sort of were were marching down the field a little bit inside of the two-minute warning. I'm like, okay, Cowboys score here, right? Even if it was a field goal, but if it was a touchdown, that was even better. Then get the ball, meaning the Cowboys get the ball to begin the third quarter. So I'm like, oh, this may end up being a game. And what happens? Dak Prescott throws a pick six, miss of the extra point, and all of a sudden it's 27 to nothing. 27 to nothing. Now, Cowboys tried to make a bit of a run because I turned away from the game. I tur- and, and actually, I turned away from the game. I turned back. The Cowboys were only down 16 points. May have been about four minutes remaining driving. W- driving also. Right? I'm like, oh, okay, they may be able to have an opportunity to actually come back. Look, Dak Prescott has not shown up. And look, I don't want to necessarily put it all on on Dak, right? But he got the money. Um, there was some concern about that. Uh, he, he got what he wanted, okay? Um, and he, 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 has, he, he had a fantastic regular season. No doubt about it. Should have been in the MVP running. No question about it. I think the way that the Cowboys got, was it the the 49ers or somebody beat them? Really, I can't even think of who it is right now, but beat them really, really badly. Took him out of the running, but it wasn't the end of the season, I thought. Played well. He gets into the playoffs and he chokes. That's what's happening. You can talk, and then the defense was bad. Okay? The defense definitely was bad. I would say it was about 50-50 between the offense and the defense and more specifically Dak, okay? Uh, He wasn't on the same page with his receivers, uh, no running game. Look, we can talk about Mike McCarthy, and I was texting a friend of mine, and I was saying I couldn't believe the score. And, And, of course, you know, being a Washington Commanders fan, like I sat here and said, I think on this program last week, I didn't know if the Cowboys would make the Super Bowl but the Cowboys, to me, were a Super Bowl-caliber team. Dax playing well, very good offense, elitish type of defense. In other words, maybe some, some issues on, in, in some categories, including the secondary, specifically the corners. But having a, a guy like a Micah Parsons, you know, Lawrence, some of these other guys could kind of erase that. And on any given Sunday, the Cowboys could be an elite defense, right? Defense was bad, but give, and that's the thing we're not doing. We're not giving the Packers enough credit. I thought the Packers game plan, Matt LaFleur, you know, Jordan Love was excellent. It was an excellent game plan. Give the Packers credit. But the Cowboys didn't play well um, defensively. And then offensively, I mean, it, it happens with Dak. And I was talking with a friend of mine texting, and he said, he thought, he said, we, I know that Mike McCarthy is going to be gone. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think he's going to be gone because it really wasn't him. However, that the caveat to that is that is this. Something had to change. I felt like something had to change. In other words, I didn't think that Jerry Jones was willing to kind of run it back as it was. And I think if you look at it, the players are talented. It's a good, talented team. If anybody had to go, it would be McCarthy. 
Okay, even though I said he, I didn't think he would go, and I really didn't think so, I thought that, okay, if they're going to make a move, it's got to be the coach. Because while it wasn't McCarthy's fault, I don't think it was McCarthy's fault at all. The players play. The coaches coach. I don't think McCarthy did a bad job coaching. Players got to play. Dak Prescott's got to play. Mike McCarthy can't go out there and throw the football for Dak Prescott. But guess what? Jerry Jones stood pat, and they're going to presumably run it back, at least with Mike McCarthy at the helm. So, you know, I thought that was extremely interesting. Cowboys fans, I want to know what you think. I thought it was the right move to keep McCarthy. Three straight 12-win seasons, the coach has got to get some credit for that. And by the way, the offense was as solid as when Kellen Moore was running it. Got to give some credit for that as Mike McCarthy bet on himself. Look, we got plenty more to get to. We're going to talk more National Football League. We're going to talk some college. Well, I got a lot to get to college football-wise in terms of HBCU scheduling with football, some other things. And don't forget, still to come here on the program, Delaware State head men's basketball coach, Stan Waterman. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitby, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. All Weaver Street Markets. Harris Teeter. Food Lion. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, and Barica Soul. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Lavelle Moten is the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Century. Have you had opportunities to go other places? I turned down a million dollar job to be exact. If you remember Pooby Chapman? I've known him all his life and his mom, Jackie. I sat with her. She said, Vale, your name is always associated with these jobs and you got to promise me if Pooby come there, then you'll see him through until he graduates. And I said, I promise. After his junior year, I got a job off of, I didn't take that job. And the reason I didn't take that job was because of Pooby. I was like, nah, I, made, I, made, I gave my vow and I gave my word to these people. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Joey Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. BoxToRow.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the Game of the Week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports, BoxToRow.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? BoxToRow.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All-American teams and weekly media coaches' bowls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And BoxToRow.com, your HBCU sports leader. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Still to come here on Box to Row, Delaware State head men's basketball coach, Stan Waterman, going to join us on the program. Let's switch gears. We're going to talk 
some HBCU football, a little HBCU football here on the program. And look, you know, last week we talked about on the program, and, and matter of fact, uh, Lavelle Moten, as a matter of fact, Lavelle Moten, the head men's basketball coach of North Carolina Central, joined us on the program last week. If you missed that conversation, you can log on to our website at boxtorow.com and click on the archived shows page, and you can pull up that conversation uh, in the Box to Row podcast. But, and, and of course, one of the things that he mentioned, he told us why, and you know, I asked him had he received any other job offers during the course of his tenure at North Carolina Central, and he mentioned he had, and he, he told us why he turned down a million-dollar job. So I think you, you know, it, it was a good conversation, and he explained why. So, um, you know, check that conversation out. And, again, talking about, D1 HBCU programs playing some of these money games, so-called money games, but on the reverse. In other words, paying schools, whether it's an NAIA school or NCCAA school or whatever the case may be, D3, to kind of come in and play these basketball games. And I think we're seeing that more than we've seen it in the past, right? Because... I think you get a bit of a balance. You're playing some of those games. And so while you're not playing power five schools, if you will, power five in the sense of, you know, the Big Ten and ACC, et cetera, SEC, where you're not playing those games or you're playing those games and getting a guarantee, most likely, uh, more times than not anyway, you're going to lose that basketball game. But you're giving a team money to kind of come in and play a game and, as Coach Moten even mentioned, it gives a team some confidence, right? Like, you you know, you, you want to be competitive and you want to compete against the best, but sometimes, you know, some of these bigger programs are just better than your program. So now you're getting wins. Your, your, your record is, is a little bit better. I mentioned last year, I mean, I, I mentioned in years past that we would have seen SWAC schools by now. I mean, maybe you'd have one more of the upper echelon teams – uh, Texas Southern has been sort of the, the the class of the SWAC in more recent years, maybe at a 500 clip, maybe a little bit above, but most everybody else would be below, well below that. And some teams may have one or two wins, three wins at the most, with some teams having zero wins because you're playing all these games on the road and they're money games and you're losing these games. Okay, you balance that out now with what we've seen more recently with schools paying other schools to come in. So now, you know, you're getting some wins. All wins are good wins, right? Rod Broadway used to say that all the time. All wins are good wins. So you get some of those wins. But I think now we're seeing that in the football realm as well. We're seeing it a lot more in the football realm. And I'm going to give you three examples. Some of the HBCU football schedules were released this week. Three of the ones that I came across were Southern Grambling and North Carolina A&T. And wouldn't you know it, all three, all three of those programs are playing di uh, Division II programs. All three of those programs are playing Division II programs. And it's an interesting mix because you're going to get way more money. This is the thing about playing those money games when you compare football to basketball you're 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 going to get more money per game playing 
the football game. In other words, you could get somewhere between maybe 500000 to in upwards of a million dollars. We saw where Tennessee State got a, a cool mill to play Notre Dame. Okay, so you're going to get somewhere between 500000 and a million. It can vary. Sometimes it could be a little bit less. Rarely is it a little bit more. But at least with the basketball, you may get, I think basketball may be somewhere around I don't know, fifty to maybe fifty to eighty thousand, maybe ninety. But if you get enough of the, enough of those, then you're really talking about some money. I don't think you want to get ten money games. Although we've seen in the past where some schools have gone for ten as many as ten money games, basketball that is in a season, so you can build up and get that, you know, kind of get to that level somewhere between five hundred thousand and a million dollars, which helps the program, but it helps more specifically the athletics departments okay so you want to kind of have a balance there you know we saw South Carolina State play two of those money games last year South Carolina and uh, I think uh, Central Florida you know we've seen a a balance but even with these three schools meaning Grambling Southern and A&T all of it all of their schedules a little bit different right so you look at Grambling Grambling opens its season with at Louisiana, right? So that's a guarantee game. You know, it's not a power five game. So I, I don't know what the guarantee would be. It's in the state of Louisiana. I mean, I would I would assume Grambling would get a nice, uh, a decent chunk of change, particularly that it's in Lafayette. So it's not terribly far. It's in the state. It's a line item transfer, state schools. So, you know, m- maybe they, you know, I don't know what they get, right? But then the Tigers turn around the next week and come home to play Tuskegee. Now, just off the top of my head, and I, I know we have we have great listeners that listen to us in the Rustin Monroe, my man Chuck, uh, but great listeners in the Rustin Monroe, Louisiana area, uh, in Grambling, et cetera. I, I don't remember where Grambling has played a D2 in more recent years. Now, I, I, I mean, I could be wrong because for me, as time goes on, I, be, I begin to get a little bit more forgetful in terms of things that have actually happened, right? Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe last year they, they, they may not play the D2, but they played somebody that was a little bit less. But again, that's been in more recent years where you would not have necessarily seen this from Grambling in years past. And it makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense in, 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 all sports, uh, and, and, well, all sports, really specifically um, in, in women's basketball too, women's basketball, men's basketball, and football. It makes sense to kind of play um, sort of these uh, these money games um, because it, it, it's a, it's a rev- you know it's a revenue generator. Okay, but <clears throat> excuse me, I think where we are now, we're seeing a lot more schools doing it, Grambling more recently with Tuskegee on the schedule and, by the way, still having a money game in, they call it Louisiana now, I guess at one time it was called Louisiana Lafayette, right? So, you know, that's good. And then on the schedule, you before conference play, they, the, the Tigers have Texas A&M Commerce out of the Southland. Um, and then they have a couple of, uh, a couple of, um, Classics, obviously the Bayou Classic and then the State Fair Classic as well. So that's, you know, I think that's a good balance because what you're saying, especially to your fans and your alums is, look, 
<clears throat> we need to make money for our programs. Okay. No doubt about it, but we don't want to run out and play, you know, go way across the country somewhere to get our brains beat in just, just to get a check. I think that's okay. And it's good, but it's, you don't want to do that all the time. So what Grambling schedule says is look that first week, we're going to get some money. We we're, you know, maybe a little bit more competitive, Right. And it's not that far. It's within the state. You can travel, come see us play. But then what they're saying is, look, we want you because so we don't have to continue to play these power five money games. We want to turn around and we want you to come support us at home, regardless of whether the even if the opponent is not NFCS program. The good thing about it, it's an HBCU program, and it's Tuskegee who carries a name. And by the way, let's not forget, Tuskegee's the winningest HBCU football program in history. So that's what Grambling is saying to its fans with its particular schedule, okay? Let's take a look at Southern. I think Southern is speaking even a little bit more. Again, I like the money games, but Southern is saying, look, we're not going to play any money games, okay? And by the way, it's a 12-game season. It's The FCS can play 12 games. So I think that the interesting thing about Southern is the beauty of Southern's schedule is that it has um, it has a, you know, it has a classic game in the Bayou Classic, but then it has six home games compared to five away games and then one neutral site game. So I like that all of the 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 um the schedule is such that there are no uh, FBS programs, so no money games where Southern is getting money, but they bring in an opponent, an FCS opponent. So you got the D2 on the schedule is Savannah. Again, very much like Tuskegee and Grambling, it's an HBCU opponent, even though it's a D2. You're playing an HBCU opponent, but then you're also bringing Nichols State, or Nichols as it were, to the stadium, right? You know, A&T is, is, is doing it this way. And I think A&T, it's a little bit more important because I think A&T alums still upset that A&T is not playing in an HBCU conference. Go to Wake Forest, that's a money game. It's an ACC game. It's a, that, that's, that's not a line item transfer because Wake Forest, even though it's in North Carolina, it's a private school. So they're going to get some money from that. But then you come right back home and you host Winston-Salem State in a non-conference, in a, obviously non-conference, but it's an HBCU. You go to North Carolina Central, of course, and then at South Carolina State. I think that the, the Aggie schedule, though, it's only four home games. So I think that's a bit uh, of an issue. But you're playing as many HBCUs as possible. Uh, again, Winston-Salem State, North Carolina Central, South Carolina State, your non-conference games. And then, of course, you play Hampton as your conference game. Let's table that discussion. You can give me your thoughts on Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Up next, Delaware State head men's basketball coach, Stan Waterman. Find the Box to Row YouTube page for conversations with stars like Omari Hardwick, Brandy, Michael Strahan, and with some of our favorite sports guests over the years. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row.
You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for him. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. Michael B. Jordan. And, and, I, and I think it's a testament to, you know, what HBCUs mean to people. You know, and, 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 and having that community and culture and shining a light on the universities, you know what I'm saying, in a real way and creating a pipeline from these kids in high school and making them feel good about wanting to land at HBCU. We have high, you know, high, high talent. Um, and often it's gone and shipped out to other places. It's never poured back into the community. So if we can create an environment that's cool and a beacon of light and people want to feel like they want to be here. And so putting it on a national stage is really big. You know, most of the time these kids don't get televised games, you know what I'm saying? So be able to put them on Turner in a real way was really, really important. Um, and, and, and then the brands and then the sponsors, you know what I'm saying? And getting, you know, the NBA, you know, scouts and looks to come in and hopefully like build this thing bigger. The one and only Stephen A. Smith. It's my sincere hope that when my ride ends, I'll get a big hug and a big thank you for what I tried to do for other people when I was at the top. Because that's all you have to lean on at the end of the day, bro. I mean, I, I plan on being successful for years to come, but it ain't gonna last forever. And, you know, when my day comes, when, when it's the end of the road and it's time for somebody else to be in my seat, in my chair, you know, it's my hope that whoever those, that person or those people are, people that knew I cared about them and believed than them to help them get to this place. Hey, Spike Lee. Thank you. I haven't heard that. I mean, I've been on, the, on rails all over the nation. Thank you for that question. I'm a third generation Morehouse man. I was taught to speak your truth and that there's very special about being a Morehouse man the same way you feel about your school, the same way we feel all about our respective historic black colleges. That would have been my first choice anyway, and I'm proud to be a Morehouse man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. You get to <laughs> You know what is good, and, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better, and, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. As we're joined by the one and only Jerry Rice. What do you remember most about those days at Mississippi Valley State? What is going on at Mississippi Valley State University? <laughs> Why are these guys putting up unbelievable numbers? And that brought the awareness to the school, and after that, I got drafted to the San Francisco 49ers. Dave Roberts, manager of the L.A. Dodgers, to be person of color and be the manager of the Dodgers, what does that mean to you? I think the first thing that comes to me is responsibility. With recency and kind of the social, the racial issues that we're having that really come to light, which is, I believe, are good things. I think that it's a responsibility for me to be the first manager of color for the Dodgers. There's not many of us in baseball. To do things the right way, to hopefully give other people of color opportunity. Hopefully it just paves the way. So I think that for me, I, I definitely look at it as responsibility, but something I'm willing to undertake. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. You know, football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown at Division One. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again, and just having a 
up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melo. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey y'all, it is the EST of WWE. The strongest, the fastest, the roughest, the toughest, the quickest, the greatest, the best on Box to Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at BoxToRow.com. That's from the Press Box to Press Row. Real. Relevant. Radio. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman in his third season as the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State. The Hornets are on a roll. Winners of their last three ball games. As a matter of fact, 2-0 in conference play. Has a home Saturday tilt against UMES. As, of course, we are joined by Stan Waterman, the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State here on Box to Row. Coach Waterman, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. We appreciate the interest. Absolutely. Definitely interested. You guys are rocking and rolling right now. I know you haven't played. Uh, by the time you next play, it'll be 12 days. We'll talk more about that. But we're about at the midway point of the season. Just want to kind of get your thoughts on the way that your team is performing. Well, we're, we're pretty excited and pretty happy with the way that we are playing right now. We've seen a progression um, from the beginning of I would even say going all the way back to the summer where we first started to put our program in place with the new strength and conditioning program, um, the preseason workouts, and then taking on a really, really challenging non-conference schedule where we played some really tough games. And But we knew that they would be uh, preparing us for the run that we're hoping to be able to make once MEAC play and conference play begins. And that has panned out well for us so far. No doubt about it. I mean, how difficult was it? I mean, 10 of those games were on the road. Can you kind of... Speak to about uh, to that the difficulty of maybe playing on the road, but you were able to pick up you know some wins on the road. Yeah, we we picked up some quality wins, and then at this level, you know, the wins are so hard to come by. But anytime you can go on the road and into an opponent's gym and get a win, that's even more impressive, and certainly speaks to growth and maturity and development for your team. Um, I mentioned and touched on the non-conference schedule. We were playing, you know, the likes of Wake Forest and Texas and Penn State. Um, in the University of Delaware, in East Carolina. We even went down to Longwood for a uh, a multi-team event where we played three games in three days on the road. And that's really challenging and really difficult. But, again, we we hoped that we were building muscle that would pay off a little bit further down the road once we got into MEAC play. Can you speak a little bit more? I know it's been a little while, but the that Longwood, Longwood tournament, because I think what's interesting is you lose to the home team in double overtime. You come back and then beat Bethune-Cookman, and then you lose to Lamar by three points. So, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, yeah, you may have gone one and two, but you were pretty competitive, at least I would think so, in that tournament. We we were very competitive, and I really thought that that might have been a turning point for us in the first game against Longwood, a double overtime loss where we had a four-point lead with, with less than 10 seconds to go for that game to go into overtime. So, you know, we we didn't make some plays, and we certainly want to give them credit, but 
we learned how to lose in that game. But then you said we bounced back the next night, which I thought showed some resiliency against Bethune and played really well against a good team, squeaked out a win. Come back the next night, the third consecutive night, you're playing three games in three days and you go another overtime game. Um, and we were already shorthanded with a couple of injuries at that point. So, again, I thought our guys showed a lot of toughness, a lot of resiliency, um, and it was really a springboard to to our team and the confidence that they started to build in one another. Stan Waterman is in his third season as the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State. He joins us here on the program. Uh, to your point, Coach Waterman, so you lose that last game uh, of the tournament, but then you proceed to win four straight games, including victories over Division One opponents at Chicago State and at Loyola, uh, Loyola University of Maryland. You lose uh, three straight, but then come back and are now on this current three-game winning streaks. Can you speak to how you were able to bounce back? I mean, I know there those were some tough games. You're playing, you know, Wake Forest. I mean, East Carolina's out of the AAC and played Longwood again. But can you speak to how you were able to bounce back or uh, come out of that three-game losing streak to now currently be on this three-game winning streak? Yeah, and sure, and I, and I hate to use cliches, but the, it really, it really is what it amounts to. Those losses were lessons for us. And we learned a lot about ourselves as a team and we were able to kind of find our rotation and find out really what our strengths are and what areas we really needed to shore up. And I think we responded from game to game um, and improved each time out. And, and we're really kind of in a stage where we were trying to say that we weren't going to let the scoreboard determine whether we were winning or losing. But we're really trying to establish our culture and our brand of basketball and the style of play that we were hoping to to develop and establish. And I think we came away with with an identity, one that we won't quit. We're going to play for 40 minutes and we're going to play to that final buzzer goes off um, and we're going to play together. We're going to share the ball and we're going to have next man up mentality when somebody goes down or is unavailable. The next guy's got to be ready. And so all those things that you hear coaches throw around and you would kind of chalk them up to cliches, they were reality for us. And I think they're going to long way for us into determining and developing who we are right now the schedule is what it is I would imagine it would have to be tough but maybe not I mean look you had you won three straight games but by the time you play on Saturday it would have been 12 days in between that last win and that last game against Morgan State is that in fact difficult uh, particularly when you're on a winning streak to take off 12 days and then or not play a game I should say in in 12 days and then what are some of the things that you did maybe to simulate uh, a game action or just kind of be ready uh, for the next opponent which again we're talking about 12 days in between games well and it is you know there are pros and cons to both sides of that thing and and the first one I thought it was time for us physically we had a really grueling November and December so our guys were kind of ready for a break um, and, and it fit with our academic calendar. It was the end and the beginning of the spring semester. So it allowed our guys to, one, kind of take some time away, gave them a couple days away from the gym and really focus on their academics and the new schedule and get ready to go with the spring. Um, and also to kind of refresh and recharge and get rejuvenated um, and, and hopefully will allow us some time to prepare for what will be a formidable opponent in, in UMES. You know, and the MEAC is so competitive. Like the, there, there's there's not a huge gap between top and bottom from number eight to number one on any given night. You got to be prepared to play, or you could be facing a loss. So um, we'll have some time to prepare 
Um, I really did. As far as the negative side, I didn't want to give up because we were kind of building some momentum and getting some enthusiasm and energy going and would love to see that kind of keep that going. But I thought physically we were we were due and ready for a break. So hopefully it'll pay off for us. Stan Waterman again in his third season as the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State. He joins us here on the program. Boy, Martez Robinson, your your kid like he's in the top 10 in basically every single important statistical category, including leading the MIAC in scoring at 17.8 points per game. What kind of player do you have in him? Man, well, we we have a young man who has really, really matured, a tough kid out of Baltimore City and, and uh, you know, brings a, a toughness to the court. He's a leader for us. He's the oldest guy on our team right now and has been around and has been through a lot of adversities. And his shares are up and down, ups and downs with the Delaware State, you know, basketball program. So, number one, I'm really excited and happy that he is having some success and all the hard work that he has put in is, is paying off for him, but he's playing really well. Like you mentioned, the number of categories that his name will show up. He does a little bit of everything for us. He scores without forcing it. He's playing some, some terrific defense this year. He might be leading the conference in steals. Um, he rebounds for us. He's in one of the top rebounders on our team. And again, all of this is without forcing it with really fitting in and trusting his teammates and, sharing the ball, and uh, he's really been a joy to coach, and it's been a lot of fun to watch him mature and grow as a player. Expounding on that a little bit, what did you see in this young man? I mean, if you look at his numbers from last year, like he's averaging 7.6 points per game. He's a whole 10 points per game more than he was last year. What did you see in him, and what have you done to really elevate his game? Well, I think probably the biggest adjustment, and we we kind of found this out halfway through the season last year, um, and it was more by necessity than anything else. We had Martez playing playing our point and playing on the ball. So knowing that he had the ability to score, we were able to take him off the ball. Um, and I think that's just done wonders for him that allows taking some of the responsibility of, of running a team and being the coach on the floor and really just playing with a li- little bit more freedom. Um, and, and and I think that's allowed him to score and get to the basket. Like I said, he, he he's a big, strong kid, can get to his spots on the floor. He shoots the ball well. He scores at all three levels um, and, and really does trust his teammates. So I think that that's the biggest thing. The guys love playing with him. He's a lot of fun to play with. Um, and, again, I'm, I couldn't be more happy for him than to see him finally having some success. And then your thoughts on the Hawks. Maryland Eastern Shore comes to you. Um, on Saturday, your thoughts on some of the challenges that the Hawks present? Well, great respect for Coach Crafton and what he has done and what he's done with that program in terms of turning it around and putting his stamps on it. I think last year they were probably top 10 in the country in terms of their defensive effort, in terms of deflections and steals and taking charges and things of that nature. So they play really hard. Um, they, they, they try to be really, really disruptive. They'll pressure you. They get after it. They want to play fast. Um, and so we're expecting that same kind of intensity um, when they come into our place on Saturday. But hopefully we'll be able to control the tempo, take care of the basketball, um, and that will go a long way in determining the outcome of the game. And then last thought, Coach Waterman, and, and we appreciate the time I was, I was saying to you before we started talking that, okay, you, uh, you will have a coach come on, that coach will call, we'll call, they'll have – a different area code from where they're calling from. Not you. You've got the 302 <laughs> area code. You've had it, it really. You like you, and that's it's unbelievable. You've had that area code all your life. You played high school ball in Delaware 
you 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 know you look at what you were able to do <clears throat> excuse me at the high school level in terms of a head coach you won eight championships eight of those championships you played at the University of Delaware my goodness um just kind of your your thoughts what made two things what made Delaware State the right job for you and it seems like that this opportunity was a long time coming for you well, again, as you said, 302 Delaware, that's my home, a native Delawarean born and raised. I went to high school, played high school basketball here, and then went on to play at the University of Delaware and now come in full circle to be the head coach at Delaware State. Um, any high school coach, I think, would tell you that the dream, one of the dreams would be to try to get a shot at the next level. Um, I've had a few opportunities, but the Delaware State opportunity at this time where the university is situated and the, the improvements and the progress that they have made, along with the opportunity to be able to get an opportunity to be a Division One coach and not have to uproot my family or move. I can get to wherever I need to be. We're situated really nicely in terms of recruiting. You know, I can get to Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, D.C., all within two hours and be back home and be in my bed at night. So that made it attractive to me. I didn't have to move. I didn't have to uproot uh, my family. And, and it's nice, too, to kind of to be known. Um, I think I've gotten some support in the community because, again, I, I, I am a part of this community and people know you and, and they support you and get behind you. So it's been a great feeling and a great situation for me to stay home and do that. Stan Waterman again in his third season as the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State. The Hornets are on a three game winning streak. will host UMES on Saturday. Coach Waterman, we appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Hornets. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and look forward to hopefully seeing you and talking to you soon. We appreciate you, Coach Waterman, especially since he joined us on such short notice against Stan Waterman, the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State. Up next here on Box to Row, we're going to talk some more National Football League. Don't move. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Lavelle Moten is the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Century. Have you had opportunities to go other places? I turned down a million dollar job to be exact. If you remember Pooby Chapman? I've known him all his life and his mom, Jackie. I sat with her. She said, Vale, your name is always associated with these jobs and you got to promise me if Pooby come there, then you'll see him through until he graduates. And I said, I promise. After his junior year, I got a job off. I didn't take that job. And the reason I didn't take that job was because of Pooby. I was like, nah, I, made, I, made, I gave my vow and I gave my word to these people. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Join Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. Thank you for making Box to Row a part of your day, wherever and however you may be listening, whether you're listening on one of our wonderful affiliates across the country that carry the program, those that listen to us on Sirius XM Channel 142 and Channel 84, those that listen to us around the world at Box to Row com talked a lot about McCarthy, Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys. And like I mentioned, I mean, I don't I don't think I didn't think it was the right move to get rid of McCarthy 
Uh, McCarthy doesn't go out and play the games. Could they have done some things differently? Maybe. But to me, that I watched that. I, well, I watched the game starting from uh, the score being 14 to nothing. And may, there were some defensive gaffes. Could they have done some things different defensively? They could have done a lot of things defensively. I think the brunt of the responsibility of that football game falls on the players and much less on the coaching. Again, 12 wins in three straight seasons and then choking in the playoffs more times than not is not going to speak to the coaching in my opinion. The Chiefs and Dol- the Chiefs and Dolphins game was definitely predictable. Look, you're talking about Miami and and weather severe weather or extreme weather definitely makes a difference and it is definitely to the advantage especially when you're talking about the cold snow the elements definitely more of an advantage to the home team and in this case I mean that was a predictable football game like it, you know especially with the elements no way in the world that the dolphins were going to go into Kansas City and playing in what well in, in negative temperatures like I think when you added the the feels like uh, temperatures like negative 24 below. No way in the world the Dolphins were going to go uh, into Arrowhead and win uh, that football game. Again, I was very surprised at the Browns um, look. But but again, much like the Packers, like I've got to give, and not that I haven't before, but you got to give Houston a lot of the credit. Houston played an exceptional football game. C.J. Stroud has been absolutely unbelievable this season and you look at that offense played well the defense played well I thought that the Browns would play a lot better from a defensive perspective you look at the the 45 points 45 to 14 I mean a lot of that was on the defense although you had the um the couple of it was two pick sixes as a matter of fact yeah two pick sixes uh that Joe Flacco threw you take those away and some of the other things uh, that he did and you're you're probably talking about a, a different football game as a matter of fact that first interception or the first one that he threw uh, there in the third quarter, he just threw it up. I mean, like he's getting hit and just throws it up. That's the Joe Flacco that I remember. And that's the Joe Flacco that will now be, he, he will never see the light of day in terms of a starting quarterback in the national football league. You get opportunities. It's not that he threw interceptions. It's the interceptions that he threw again. The one that I mentioned, he just throws it up. It gets intercepted, returned for pick six. Fourth and two, he, he instead of, he never saw the, I, I can't remember, linebacker, he never saw the defensive player for the Texans. Never saw him. And that'll get you back into a backup role, particularly at the age of 40 years old. He's a has-been. I, I can't even believe that, uh, you know, it's I, I guess it should have been predictable, but you just thought that Joe Flacco was playing a lot differently. The Lions squeaking out that victory. I mean, I guess squeaking it out. I mean, it was one point, but, you know, look, the Lions are playing some really good football right now. Um, and, and then the Bills over the Steelers. Look, um, you, you knew the Bills were going to win that football game. I think the Steelers, they were in it a little bit there, but but the, Steel, the Bills pulled it out and then. I mean, I got to be honest. Like, I thought the Eagles would get it together. That's a situation. To me, the Eagles situation is much worse than the Cowboys situation. 
okay? Because, look, I looked at the Eagles. We we saw them do more or less a free fall to end the season. But you, you could say, and like I thought, hey, okay, it's a team. Yeah, there are some problems, right? And problems don't automatically fix themselves, especially when you're talking about going from the regular season to the playoffs. I understand that, but this is a a tested team with veterans, okay? So, so I look, I look at that Tampa team, wasn't impressed. Uh, now, I'm very impressed. Like, I, I again, got to give Tampa a lot of credit, especially from the defensive side of the football. I mean, Todd Bowles has always been a defensive guru. And, I, you know, I think if you looked at the end of last season, you could have easily made a case that, that the Buccaneers could have dismissed Todd Bowles, stuck with him. It wasn't going well for Tampa. Uh, Well, it was going okay. You know what I mean? Like, it was going okay. I still wasn't sold on Baker Mayfield. It was going okay. And uh, look, this football game dominated the Eagles. And the Eagles didn't play well. So I think you've got a lot of question marks coming into next season as it relates to the Eagles. This was a team that made the Super Bowl last. To me, this is as worse of a season after making a Super Bowl appearance that we've seen in quite some time. A lot of that has to do with the way that the Eagles started the season. What, 11-1 and one at one point? You end the season the way you end it, you're like, okay, you know, I, right, I got it. Brown was out, but you still had uh, plenty of weapons. And look, give the... Buccaneers, all of the credit from a defense, Todd Bowles, from a defensive perspective. But offensively, the Eagles got nothing going as well. I think there's some question marks with Jalen Hurts. Um, Not him as a quarterback, but in terms of him in the overall offense. I think you've got a lot of question marks going into next season. So, I, you know, the wins that I didn't think the teams would win, you know, I like those teams. Like, I'm not saying I like them to win. I certainly don't like the Texans to beat the Ravens. I think... The Raven, I think the Texans are legit. I, I don't think it's one of those deals where, okay, the Ravens off a week. The Ravens probably the best team in the National Football League, certainly has the best record, probably has the MVP in Lamar Jackson, and that somehow the Texans will uh, go back to sort of um, being a team that was a, a solid team, but not what we saw last week against the Browns. No, I don't think that, but I think the Ravens definitely will win this football game by 10 points. I like the Ravens in this game by 10 points over the Texans. I like the Texans. I just think the Ravens are so, so good. And, and all of the talk, and, and and rightfully so, about Lamar Jackson and what he hasn't done in the playoffs. We didn't talk about it last year because he, he was injured. He was injured towards the latter part of the season. But all of the talk, now it comes back again because he's healthy, he's ready, he's in the playoffs, and I think he shows and proves why he should be the league MVP And that Ravens defense we know is really, really tough. Look, the Packers, I think, came up with a phenomenal game plan against the Cowboys. As much as I think it was more about what the Packers did than what the Cowboys didn't do with the exception of Dak Prescott, who seems to disappear in the playoffs. I'm going to give the Packers more credit than I'm going to say um, that the Cowboys didn't do A, B, and C. That said, I think the Packers have a good team. They're on a 
you know, on a roll, good win. But come on, they're going up against the 49ers. Much better defense than the Cowboys have in terms of, especially from a consistent standpoint, more playmakers all over the field. You got, you know, you've got the former uh, Willie Davis, HBCU National Player of the Year, two times over, that is, Javon Hargrave in the middle. You've got Bosa on, on the outside. You've got Chase Young on the other side. You've got linebackers galore. I mean, you've got, that's a really good defense. Not to, And let's not even talk about the offense. Purdy, you know, I think even if Purdy is not great, he's got so many weapons. McCaffrey, um, you know, and this is this is a solid like it's this is not the the 49ers playing the Ravens going back to, you know, around the holidays. Like it's not like the 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 the, the Packers are not the Ravens. So I think even if Purdy doesn't have a great day, I think it's a, it would be a he's got enough weapons. And as long as those weapons make plays and he doesn't and the offense doesn't turn the ball over that that should be a good. I mean, that should be, you know, a 10 point win, I think, for the 49ers over the Packers. The Buccaneers and the Lions, that's a very intriguing football game. I look at the Buccaneers coming off that win over the uh, the Eagles. And again, it's not an Eagles. T- it, it just was a bad Eagles team. But again, I want to give the Buccaneers some credit. I think the Lions, you know, the Lions played well. This is a this is a toss up game. Like it, it's not clear to me. Like the 49ers and Packers, it's clear. 49ers, the Ravens and Texans, to me, it's clear. It's the it's the Ravens, Lions and Buccaneers, not so much. Okay, uh, you know, I look at the Lions. I think it's I think they have a good, solid football team, but it's not an overpowering team on either side of the football. And to me, I, I, I'm gonna go with the upset here. I like the Lions. I like the the way the Lions are playing. I'm gonna go with a and I, I don't think it's like would be a great upset. Again, it depends on how Baker Mayfield plays. Like he played well in this victory over the Eagles. If we see him revert back to some of the bad Baker we've seen, then it's going to be a long day for the Buccaneers. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm going to go with a little bit of an upset, a really close football game within three points. I like the Buccaneers over the Lions. And then the Chiefs and the Bills. Wow. Like I think this is the moment. Look. I don't, I'm not sure what the weather forecast is. It was bad in in in, in Buffalo uh, last week, not as bad as it was in Kansas City. I mean, I think weather is a, is a factor, but not because both are used to playing in that type of weather. I think the weather affected Kansas City uh, a, a, a good bit in that game, but it, but why wouldn't it? I mean, negative 24 was the field, right? Look, I think the Bills are a better football team. The Chiefs have not played well offensively, defensively, they've been solid, but I think the Bills have enough. And finally, Josh Allen and company get over the hump against the Chiefs. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Sam Waterman, the head men's basketball coach at Delaware State, for joining us on the program. For more information, great podcasts, great videos, etc., log on to our website, box to row Com. I'd like to welcome our newest affiliate and those listening to us on Radio Lex, WLXU 93.9 FM in Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you for making Box to Row a part of your day. And always remember to support those that support 
Yo, Box Toro is produced by DW Communications. <laughs>